And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome. Yes, it's the start of another week as we get ready to wrap up the month of September. That, that's the bad news, I guess, or the good news. I'll, you know, get through the month. I guess that's the good news. Uh, October tends to mark the bottom of markets more often than not. In fact, going back in history, out of all the major market bottoms that have ever been put in, the vast majority of them, I don't know why, occurred in October. So, you know, that's there's the good news for you. After a Friday sell-off, of course, uh, markets are looking to open a bit weaker this morning. Uh, some things currently, you know, starting to look like we've got some issues. The pound flash crashed relative to the U.S. dollar overnight as, um, you know, more kind of, you know, uh, political concerns, I guess, are arising, both economically as well as politically. Tax cuts uh, being put into place to try to stem some of the pressure of inflation and, and, and slower kind of economic growth weighing on citizens in, in the U.K., well, that flash crash uh, in the currency relative to other currencies, of course, is a concern. And when you start to see those types of things, that is typically one of the early indicators that something is breaking, right? And, and uh, over the weekend, of course, um, I had a, uh, our video is, is currently on the website now. If you go to realinvestmentadvice.com, I did my weekly wrap up with Adam Taggart talking about the fact that these very aggressive rate hikes, not by just the Federal Reserve, but by central banks globally, are now putting markets in this potential position of something breaking. And again, the, the question is always what breaks, when it breaks, and of course, what does that mean for markets and, and of course, most importantly, stock prices, right? That's the big concern, right? Are we going to have another big crash in the markets? Um, a couple of things are Friday was a very, very sharp sell-off. Now, markets did recover a bit on Friday at the, at the end of the day. The good news about that, uh, again, it, we're, we're really scrapping here for some good news, by the way, because um, there's not a lot out there. Um, markets did hold this bottom uh, going back to the, to the June lows, and, and that was kind of important critical support that market held on to on Friday. Now, we're going to re-challenge that again this morning to see if markets can hold on to that bottom, that low as well. Now, markets are very oversold here on a short-term basis. We're more than two standard deviations below the 50-day moving average. Again, don't worry about the, the technical mumbo-jumbo. just means market prices are very stretched to the downside, which is interesting because it was just a couple of weeks ago that we were all feeling very bullish and we were talking about markets stretching two standard deviations above the moving average. And again, as, as is always the case, the reason you have a moving average is because prices trade both above and below those levels. So when you get too far above them or too far below them, typically that's where prices reverse. So again, a bit of good news there is that we are to the point that markets will probably find some type of short-term bottom that they can rally off of. And again, I wouldn't expect a whole lot, probably a rally, a rally back to 3,900, 4,000, probably all you're gonna get out of this particular rally at least for now. Uh, so again, use that to, to raise some cash, reduce your risk in your portfolios, et cetera. Uh, the other side of this, of course, also is that uh, on Friday, we saw record put options being bought on stocks. In other words, we had a record number of people buying protection against a crash. 
Now, also at the same time, you had record bearishness. Uh, the, uh, the American Association of Individual Investors, their bull bear sentiment report came, survey came out on Friday. Uh, record bearishness for individual investors. Now, again, the last time we saw record bearishness was back at those June lows. And we were talking about these very same things back at the June lows. We we're talking about this reflexive rally, extremely negative sentiment. Um, the fact that you know you had a lot of people kind of offsides on the markets on the bearish side. Exact same setup we saw back in June, have that exact same setup here at the same level. Now, does that mean markets are gonna have the same type of rally we saw in June? Probably not. Um, too many people are now realizing that, that uh, bull market rallies are in, in, inside of a bear market typically don't work out well. So again, you, we had a lot of bullish sentiment come rushing back into the markets. You know, one of the things I'd said back at the bottom of the market in June was what we needed was for a rally that would get Jim Cramer calling the bottom of the bear market was in. He did that, and of course, that was about right at the peak of this rally. So here we are retesting these lows again. No word from Jim Cramer just yet, so we'll be watching out for that. But, but again, this very oversold condition here. But again, watch what's happening globally right now. Over the weekend, it's very interesting. In Italy, the government just elected a conservative into power. Now, what's interesting is, of course, is the media isn't really reporting it as that, right? She's a far-right extremist because she wants to do silly things like cut taxes, cut back on government spending, uh, try to do things to, to get the economy back onto a better track. Control immigration is another issue she's got, of course. So now the media and, of course, a lot of the uh, other governments in, 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 in the Eurozones labeling her a far-right extremist. In fact, she's the most far-right extreme leader since Mussolini in World War II. So, again, just, that's just how the media is announcing it. But re in reality, all she is is, is, is basically a centrist conservative and she's just trying to insert some some um, conservative politics back into into Italy, get Italy back under control. Immigration's a problem there, just like here in the U.S. They have a lot of the same problems with inflation, slow economic growth, etc. Reason for tax cuts, trying to boost some economic growth in that country. Um, she won, and here's what's interesting about this: she won by a very large majority. So. If that is any indication about what voters are going to be doing in November here, might have a good example of, of watching what's going on in Italy because it may have a flow back here into the U.S. as well. Now, again, one of the big issues is that if we're going to get this economy back on track, we're going to have to start doing some things, A, to get inflation back under control. That's what the Fed is doing. The problem is that the most aggressive rate hikes basically since the 1970s are well ahead of potentially where the economy can withstand those higher rates given the amount of debt that we currently have in the economy. So the risk is again, to go back to talking about the, the, what's happening in the UK right now, uh, that flash crash in the pound, and again, a very strong dollar in the U.S., which is one of the impediments to the markets right now as well, this very sharp rise in the dollar is weighing on both the environment here, and remember, 40% of corporate profits come from international countries, so a very strong dollar weighs on the economic growth of, foreign, of, of other countries. So while the Fed is focused on hiking rates and reducing their balance sheet to try to bring inflation down, the one thing they're missing and probably the best way to bring inflation down would be to weaken the dollar. 
and, and to start doing some uh, dollar interventions here to help bring the dollar back in line with other countries. That'll help bring inflation down, help bring uh, revenue growth back up in the country because again, once you start to ease pressure on international countries, those, that 40% of corporate profits that come, and corporate revenues that come from overseas is, is a very important source of starting to stabilize the economy here as well. So the one thing the Fed is overlooking right now is the strength of the dollar while they're focusing on hiking rates. But the higher rates go here, the more money gets tra attracted into U.S. Treasuries because of the higher yield, and that continues to strengthen the dollar. So their very actions of what the Fed is doing is actually exacerbating the problem with the dollar, at least for right now. So we'll see how this works out. But again, pay attention to what's happening uh, with currencies uh, on an international basis because those are typically one of the first signs of trouble. And we have one of those first signs of trouble with the UK pound flash crash last night. Okay, quick break, come back. A lot of stuff to get into this morning. We'll talk more about the markets, your money, where do we go to next? That's all coming up in today's Real Investment Show. The newsletter is out on the website. Simply get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Click on the newsletter link, full update to our portfolios, things we're doing, how we're trading it right now. It's on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. Be right back. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. If your portfolio looks more like a horror show, you won't want to miss our next Candid Coffee on dealing with bloody markets. No tricks, just treats. From Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff with some not-so-spooky ideas to budgeting and how to maximize your cash. Don't be spooked by markets or Danny's bathroom. On our next Candid Coffee, Saturday, October 1st. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. You know, we've talked a lot about uh, the, the issues with cars and car shortages and those type of things. And of course, you know, it's when, you know, one of the you know, byproducts of shutting down the economy was a record surge in used car prices. And of course, that has gotten to the point of where people literally just can't afford to buy a car. And unfortunately, my daughter's 16th birthday has now fallen right in the midst of all this. And so, you know, we have a, a policy in our house that, uh, you know, our kids have to, you know, help pay for their first car, they have to manage the car note, you know, all that type of stuff. And when my other two 16-year-old, well, actually, when my other three all turned 16, this was a fairly easy progress, right? They they had jobs, um, and you know they had saved up some money and borrowed money from relatives and whoever else they could get to to try to get <laughs> to try to get their down payment put together. Of course, our, our our policy is is that we'll match whatever down payment they can come up with. We'll match that, and then that's how they go and buy their car, and they've got to keep their payment at a level to where they can afford to make their monthly payment out of their job that they're doing, right? So, and at 16, jobs are tough um, to come by. Um, you know, there's jobs available for 16-year-olds, but, you know, you really have to be 18 to do a lot of things like, um, you know, uh, work in restaurants and, you know, wait tables and those type of things. So, you know, there, there are jobs at 16 years old that they can do. Um, they don't pay a lot, unfortunately, and they're, they're a bit hard to come by these days. 
Um, there's some reasons for that, but we won't get into that here because they're more political. Um, but <laughs> but, um, but uh, again, this is just policy and process in our household. So the problem is that for the first three, this was a very, fairly simple process, right? Cars, you know, used cars were fairly easy to come by. Prices were reasonable. Um, so when my daughter turned 16 last week, of course, this weekend, you know, we went to, you know, do some car shopping. I thought this was an interesting, you know, byproduct of what's going on. There's been some stories in the media. Uh, one was Texas Direct Auto, which got nabbed for selling cars without titles. People were buying cars and it would take six, seven, eight, nine months to get titles for their cars. And of course, there's all kinds of problems with that. Um, and so, you know, that's, but they're a big used car dealer, right? Um, lots of other used car dealers around town. And look, and, and, and the story I'm telling you is anecdotal. We did not go to every single used car dealer in Houston. So don't email me and say, well, the de car dealer next to my house has plenty of used cars. You Probably know. felt like it, though, didn't it? I don't know what you're talking about. Going to every oh, no. used it, car dealer that was in a lot. town. Anyway. <laughs> Um, so we, so, you know, so we start this process and, and you go to dealerships to look at used cars. Now here's the interesting thing. So we went online first and we just looked online and, and we, and she found cars and it would be a 2000, you know, 14 Mazda CX-5, whatever. And she, oh, I like this car, right? It's, it's the right price. It's, it's in the, the right, it's got, it's got, you know, lower mileage and it has all the things she wants on it. So perfect. Problem is, is those cars aren't anywhere to be found. And, and when you go to the dealership that supposedly has this car, they don't have that car on the lot. They can go get it for you, and it might be in some other city or state. But basically, when you get to the dealership, they have other cars in the lot. And, and for instance, uh, one of the cars she was looking at was a Hyundai Elantra. And they go, well, we don't have that car here, but here, here's a brand new Hyundai Elantra you can take for a test drive to see if you like it. Of course, my wife's going, well done, <laughs> right? Because, you know, uh, she, my, my daughter gets in the car and this, and, the, and this particular test drive car was a Hyundai Elantra uh, hybrid. And it had, of course, when she got in and turned it on, the dashboard all lit up. She's like, I want this one. I'm like, no, you don't. Um, <laughs> you can't afford it. Um, but what was interesting is, is that there were no cars, there were no used cars readily available. And we had to wind up ordering a used car to have it delivered. It'll come in next Friday. But, the, you know, we've talked about these used car shortages. And, you know, this was my first dealing with actually trying to buy a used car. It is a, it is a challenge, uh, to say the least. Prices are not cheap by any stretch of the imagination. And, you know, it's and and this is going to be a problem that I think takes a lot longer to resolve. And there's a lot of hope that we're going to see used car prices start to come down pretty quickly. But the problem is, is the lack of supply. Again, if I can't, if, here, here's the problem with supply. This actually started back in 2008. If you remember back in 2008, Barack Obama at that time as president, he did a cash for clunkers program. This was coming out of the financial crisis. And the goal was to help the automakers sell new cars. So there was a program to basically scrap used cars. So it took a lot of used cars out of the market. So a lot of people bought new cars and those type of things. So, you know, but part of that inventory scrappage 
that occurred reduced the amount of inventory of used cars in the markets. And then, of course, we get into an environment where used car, where used car prices are rising and new car prices are rising. And now people can't. And, and we talked about previous, even previous to 2020, we talked about the fact that, you know, people, because of their incomes and, you know, their lack of financial liquidity, were having to finance cars longer and longer and longer just to get a payment they could afford, right? We talked about auto loans going, you know, normally you finance a car for three years or five years. We are talking about people financing used cars for seven years or longer just to get a payment they could afford. So the, the problem with this is now all playing catch up because now these people are in cars that they can't sell because they can't afford, you know, great, I can sell my used car and get more money than I paid for it. That's awesome. But what am I gonna what am I gonna drive? Right? I got I can't afford to buy a new a new used car because I can't afford the I couldn't afford the payment on my old used car. I can't afford the new new newer payment on the new new used car because it's even higher. So this is all kind of lapping into this this uh, problem of a lack of vehicles and keeping prices elevated. And there's a lot of hope here that we're gonna see a reversion in used car prices sooner rather than later. And uh, and again, my experience is totally anecdotal. So again, don't email me and tell me all the used cars that are sitting next door to your house, um, because you know it's just the the ability to re, to 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 bring forward used vehicles means that people have to sell their cars to go buy new cars, and just that's not going to happen heading into a recession. So uh, the prices of, of used cars are probably going to remain elevated for a bit longer anyway. Uh, but it was a very interesting experience and. Um, my poor daughter has now gotten roped into a payment much higher than she can afford. So uh, we're going to be trying to figure you know, figure this out for her. But it, again, it really wasn't much of a choice to find a vehicle that was safe enough for her to drive and get it into a budget that she could actually afford. So this is kind of one of the clawbacks of, of this environment. Again, you know, you know, as, as is always the case, you know, we're just trying to teach our kids some responsibility. Um, and 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 the cost of all these things that you know things aren't free and that you have to work for them and you have to you know sacrifice to get the things that you want but you know it's almost an unfair lesson that you know we're having to teach our daughter right now because again not just it's not just the car note it's the she's got to pay for insurance or gas you know the tires oil changes all those things right and and so again at 16 she's going to school all day she's on the dance team. She's got practice and she has to go to work and do and study and make good grades and your grades are tied to the use of the car. You know, she doesn't make straight A's. There's no car. So, you know, there's a lot of problems that, you know, she's going to be facing here over the next, you know, uh, couple of years as she uh, starts to get towards 18. But, you know, it's going to be challenging. But, you know, this is the you know, these are the, the tough lessons that we try to teach our kids. And that doesn't. And, and again, at this particular phase you know, the previous three were very easy. She's really kind of gotten the short end of the stick because of what's going on in the economy. So anyway, that's what, just kind of the update. What did you wind up with? Uh, Mazda CX-5. Uh, Those are excellent vehicles. Yeah. I tried to get her to buy a Miata just so she could go hang out with you. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's no. Uh, <laughs> it's not a good learner car. <laughs> and I, I was trying to get her to buy a standard Um there was, oh yeah, there was there was yeah. quite a few uh, uh, standard shift, and I was like, I was like, honey, you need to learn to drive a stick, and she's fighting me the whole way, and I'm like, look, there's two big advantages to driving a stick at your age. One, you can't use your phone while you're driving. 
and two, you won't have to worry about anybody stealing it. That's right. right. You can just yeah. leave the, You can leave the doors open with the keys in the ignition, and nobody's going to steal your car. I have a new uh, <laughs> official affiliation. Yes. I have become a member of the Manual Gearbox Preservation Society. Uh, you may be one of the last few. I probably am. Yeah. But you know, she was like, well, why do they have it that way? I go, if you've never driven a sports car with a stick, you'll understand why. So, anyway. Have her come around. I'll uh, <laughs> show her mine. <laughs> there you go. She still can't drive a stick. Um, <laughs> you can show it to her. But she she'll want to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She'll, she'll want to. Um, all right. So, when we come back from the break, um, a couple of things that, you know, uh, and again, you know, we're, we, you know, the problem for the markets right now is they're extremely oversold here, but there's a lot of fear ramping up in the markets because of what the Fed is doing. And, and the market is now sending a very clear message to the Federal Reserve that they've gone too far. Now, the, the issue is, is whether or not the Federal Reserve will listen. We've got a lot of speakers out this week. So we'll be hearing more from the Federal Reserve. We'll hear if there's any starts, uh, you know, kind of any signs of regret potentially. Um, in their recent actions or recent statements. Um, it wouldn't surprise me to start seeing a little bit of a backpedal on some of these kind of speeches, you know, saying, hey, you know, we're watching things really close. You know, just trying to get the markets to calm down here just a bit. Because, again, the big concern for the Federal Reserve is hiking rates are one thing. And as long as everybody's been playing nice, which has been the case lately, there's been no volatility in the markets. So despite the fact that we've gone up and down and sideways and all over the place, really hasn't been a big spike in volatility. If you start getting a big spike in volatility that smacks of financial instability, that's the Fed's biggest fear. And again, what happened overseas with the, with the British pound and what's happening in other countries as well may start to soften some of this tone. We'll see. We'll come back from the break. We'll talk some more about that. Don't go away. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com if your portfolio looks more like a horror show you won't want to miss our next candid coffee on dealing with bloody markets no tricks just treats from richard rosso and danny ratliff with some not so spooky ideas to budgeting and how to maximize your cash don't be spooked by markets or danny's bathroom on our next candid coffee saturday october 1st register now at realinvestmentadvice.com candid coffee with ratliff and rosso realinvestmentadvice.com you're listening to The Real Investment Show. So this week, as I noted, there's uh, quite a few Fed speakers coming out, so we'll see what... Um, you know, kind of what the market kind of takes from these speeches. Again, you know, the Fed's very focused on inflation. And the one thing that 
is exacerbating the problem right now for the Fed. And again, uh, as I noted in this weekend's newsletter, you know things are getting bad when CNBC is running markets in turmoil banners. And as I look up at the screen right now, markets in turmoil banner uh, up and running. Um, you know, the, the dollar index has been continuing to strengthen relative to other currencies. And as I noted in the, in the open this morning, 40% of corporate revenues come from overseas. So a stronger dollar makes things a lot more expensive overseas. And again, that's adding to the inflationary pressures that individuals overseas have because of the stuff that they buy in U.S. dollars. And unfortunately, all commodities are traded in the U.S. dollar, which is making things like gas, oil, coal, food, all, uh, all much more expensive because it all trades in dollars. Um, so one of the, the problems for the Fed ultimately, and they're going to have to come and address this probably sooner than later, is the strong dollar. And they can open up swap lines to do this and try to bring and, and do some currency interventions to try to bring the dollar down and help stabilize you know, other currencies as well. And that would help ease some of the pain uh, that's going on overseas. And of course, this flash crash in the British pound last night may be the first kind of warning shot across the bow that may get central bankers moving in that direction sooner than later uh, to get, you know, these currencies a little bit more, in, uh, you know, and aligned. And, and again, it was always interesting that, you know, when Trump was in office, he was calling China a currency manipulator. And it was interesting because everybody manipulates their currency, right? I mean, this it's what they do, we do it, they do it, everybody does it, in order to keep trade stable, right? And again, you're seeing the impact of what happens when a currency gets too strong relative to other countries. It causes a lot of economic problems. And so this is where currency interventions are a thing because, uh, again, when you have a, a country like China, which sells you know $50 billion worth of stuff to the U.S., they, if they take all that currency back into the yuan, that's going to make their currency too strong relative to the dollar, which means that stuff becomes too expensive for us to buy. So we buy less stuff from China. And so they don't want that. So they sanitize those trades by buying U.S. treasuries. And so, in other words, when that trade is completed and, and you pay for that product, instead of taking that money back into the yuan, they buy treasuries with it and it helps stabilize currencies. And so... This is why China owns so many of our treasuries. But again, you know, we're now getting to the point of where this is becoming problematic, not just domestically, but globally as well. So, uh, again, uh, one of the things I think we'll start hearing Fed speakers talk about is start talking about the strength of the U.S. dollar. And that may be kind of those first early signs that they're starting to look at potentially intervening into the currency to help weaken it a bit. But... You know, again, this is the, these are the things to be kind of paying attention to this week because, again, quite a few Fed speakers. Japan's got problems right now. Uh, Kuroda was talking about over the weekend that when he was talking about forward guidance, his, his he, you know, over the next two to three years remaining fairly the same, he cannot let interest rates rise, right? He's got to keep interest rates near zero because they have so much debt that if interest rates increase very much at all, it's going to cause a tremendous amount of problems for Japan. And and same thing here, you know, the 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 rise in the U.S. Treasury that we have here um, on the longer end is is massively increasing the amount of debt service that we have to pay to sustain our 30 trillion in debt. So that's distracting more revenue from tax revenue from other things uh, and to servicing debt, 
which means that more and more of, of the tax revenue we do collect, and again, we're to this point now already that the tax revenue we collect, more than 100% of that tax revenue is used only for service on the debt and basically welfare, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, prescription drug benefits. That's, that's what all your tax revenue covers. Everything else, defense spending, education, whatever, uh, infrastructure, roads, green energy, anything else the government wants to do has to come out of debt, and which is why our debt numbers continue to go up. And now, because of the rise in interest rates, more and more and more of the money that's coming in is all being consumed by the debt service, which means more and more and more of our welfare payments are coming out of debt issuance. And this is going to continue to be an exacerbated problem. So, you know, this is, and, and this, again, the soaring dollar, because of the impact on corporate revenues, that's going to weaken earnings. And we're going to see revenues drop because of the impact of that on foreign currencies. And so it's going to be difficult for the stock market to really gain any type of footing until you start to see the dollar reverse some of its recent rally. And, you know, we've got to see some clear signs of the dollar beginning to weaken in order for stocks to, to really kind of get a footing to any, you know, real degree here. Now, we're going to get some relative bounces. And again, I'm not saying that stocks are just going to go straight down. I'm not saying that at all. Markets are very oversold. We're very extended. Wouldn't be surprised to see the market rally this week. Wouldn't be an issue at all. Uh, just again, because we're so deeply oversold here. But it's going to be hard for markets to form a lasting bottom and start to rise and get back into more bullish trend until you know, we see the Fed stop hiking interest rates and we get the dollar under control. So there's, there's, and, and again, the big risk as we talk about going forward is that whole problem of something breaking in the market. And, and, and the problem for the Fed is the Fed is going, okay, we're hiking rates because of inflation. We're focused solely on inflation. That's our whole view. That's the only thing we care about right now is we got to get inflation down. So we're okay causing a little bit of pain in households to get inflation under control because that'll be some short-term pain for your household right now, but we'll get inflation down and everything will be fine. So they're focused on this whole inflation fight, but they're missing the bigger picture, which is the dollar, which is exacerbating the monetary tightening in the market. So as they're tightening policy by hiking rates, the dollar's hiking, the dollar increase is tightening policy and the surge in the 10-year treasury rate and everybody had, and, and of course the short-term rates as well, which is tied to a lot of credit card debt, et cetera, is all weighing on consumers who are seeing their payments go up. So there's a, a lot more tightening going on in the economy than just the Fed hiking rates. And that potentially all leads to something eventually breaking. And, and this is one of the reasons why the Fed, you know, has always broken something in the market at one point or another. They hike rates, they hike rates, they hike rates, something breaks, and then they're trying to reverse policy as quickly as possible. And so we'll see what happens. The question is, is, is whether or not something has already broken or something is about to break. And unfortunately, we don't generally know those things until after the fact. And so this is why it's just kind of important to keep a watch on things. Um, you know, but again, global stocks under a lot of pressure here. Um, headline here from Market Watch this morning, global stocks suffered a bruising week. And the S&P avoided its lowest closing of the year. Again, we closed right at, uh, you know, where we were in, in June. 
And this is all a function of the soaring U.S. dollar after the Fed raised its key policy rates by 75 basis points on Wednesday. Currencies such as the euro, the British pound, the Japanese yen fell further as U.S. dollar index rose to its loftiest level since 2002 and recorded its biggest weekly advance since March of 2020. The pound fell to a 37-year low against dollars on Friday and dipped further than that over the weekend. So, again, there's, there's your real problem kind of in a nutshell. So the question, of course, is how to navigate this. And, and again, you know, one of the things that you want to be careful of is not to, you know, kind of panic sell, you know, at this point. Markets are, have been down now for several straight weeks. I mean, it's been a pretty strong sell-off here. And again, and, and, and again, just remember, it was just, a, you know, three, four weeks ago, we were talking about this massive rally in, in the markets and the bull market was back and, Headlines were saying that, you know, the, the, the bottom is in for stocks. And, you know, we, Jim Cramer was up on television telling you everything's great. Got to be, you know, got to be buying stuff. You know, and here we are back to those June lows again just a few weeks later. So, again, the story continues to be of a more bearish structure in the markets. Rallies are, are good to sell into and to raise cash. And, uh, and again, you know, opportunities will be made. There's going to be some great opportunities to buy stocks very cheap here. And there'll be a great opportunity to invest in things. And, and what we'll talk about um, when we come back from the break is something that I discussed with Adam Taggart over the weekend. Um, because this is one of those setups where if you have cash available today, where do you invest it? And then what are you looking for to do next? That's, that's the big question a lot, of have, a lot of people have. And a lot of people are going to make the wrong decisions here. And they're not going to buy the right assets. But there's some really good opportunities coming. And you might be a little bit early, and that's okay. You might be a little bit late, that's okay too. But you definitely want to be in a position in the next you know, few months to six months or so to have that cash available for some really good buying opportunities that are coming down the road. And, and again, there's we're, we're starting to see a lot more of that. So uh, get by the website, that interview with Adam Taggart. It's on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. Of course, our latest newsletter is out. Just click the link. Our daily commentary is also up this morning as well uh, with a recap from this weekend. All, all there for you um, right there at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. All right, stick around. Be right back. We'll talk about kind of what the, the next cycle of events will probably be for investors. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. If your portfolio looks more like a horror show, you won't want to miss our next Candid Coffee on dealing with bloody markets. No tricks, just treats. From Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff with some not-so-spooky ideas to budgeting and how to maximize your cash. Don't be spooked by markets or Danny's bathroom. On our next Candid Coffee, Saturday, October 1st. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso. realinvestmentadvice.com. <laughs> 
The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show. Uh, get ready to wrap it up here. Realinvestmentadvice.com. Uh, over the weekend, I was doing a Q&A, and one of the questions I got asked in the Q&A was, if I could only invest in one asset for both inflation and deflation, what would it be? And the answer is bonds. And the reason is, is that bonds always give you a return of principal. So even if I'm wrong, I always get my money back. I'm talking about treasury bonds uh, in particular here. I always get my money back. Now, you know, the, the, the point about that is, is that right now we're seeing a lot of people go, I'm going to go buy, you know, three-month treasuries, six-month treasuries, you know, two-year treasuries. So I can get 4% of my money. If I get 4% of my money, that's great. And there's nothing wrong with that. The problem is, is knowing when to make that change. And again, when, you know, these, these alternatives all sound great in the short term. It's like, oh, I'm going to do this right now, and then I'll come back and do this later. And again, people never do because... Uh, psychological problems, anchoring, et cetera, you know, all occur until eventually the you know, stock market's returning 25, 30%. You're going, why am I stuck at four? This is stupid. Um, I'm going to do something. I need to go get back in the stock market. Then, of course, you wind up buying stocks too high and you wind up getting your next, you know, getting in trouble again. And, and you know, this is the problem with always jumping from what was working to what you think is going to work in the future, which typically tends to be the wrong thing. You know, the, this current market environment is going to be this way forever. It's not. But the, the big issue is, and, and again, you know, the question is navigating what's coming. And, you know, what the opportunities are going to be. And look, there's nothing wrong with going out and buying three-month or six-month treasuries right now and picking up 3%, you know, yield on your cash because, you know, in the next three or six months, those will mature and we will likely have a very good opportunity to buy something a whole lot cheaper in terms of equities. Now, the way the cycle is going to ultimately work is, you know, and, and again, if, if I had, you know, complete control over my client money and they would leave me alone, I would buy 100% 10-year treasuries right now. And here's why. Because when something breaks in this market, money is going to flow into safety. And that safety is going to be treasury bonds. And when money flows into treasury bonds, that's going to drive the prices up and the yields down. And when something breaks in this market from what the Fed is doing, the Fed will come back, obviously, and start, you know, basically trying to bail everything out again, right? So they go back to QE, cutting rates back towards zero, et cetera. So when that happens, the yield on a 10-year treasury is going to fall towards half a percent, which is where it bottomed in March of 2020, or potentially closer to zero this time because of all the excess we have still built up in the market. So when rates fall back towards zero, the prices of 10-year treasuries will be at their maximum value. There will be, unless interest rates go negative uh, on the 10-year treasury, there's a limit to how bond prices, how high bond prices can go. So, so again, if, if the 10-year treasury is trading right now, at 105, 104, 106, you know, right around that level on the 10-year treasury. TLT is a good example of that. You buy that, a lot of it, and you will maximize the majority of your value over the six, eight, over the coming six, eight, nine months, however long it takes till something breaks. Now, once something breaks, 
and interest rates go towards zero, you don't want to be long bonds anymore. That's where you're going to start shifting back towards equities because equities will be very cheap at this point because prices will have come down sharply. Um, but not just in equities. So, you, you, yes, you buy your you know, big blue chip dividend yielding equities. You'll be able to pick up yields north of 4% on, on equities, build a very structured low value, uh, basically low, low value, low risk portfolio with a fairly high yield and catch the capital appreciation going forward. But outside of that, there's also be some great opportunities in distressed debt, preferred stocks, um, particularly those of banks, will be selling at fairly deep discounts with high yields. Um, and then, of course, you'll also want to you know, own some small cap stocks as well, because, again, in the initial recovery of the economy, uh, and again, these are companies that actually have revenue and earnings, right? not just any small cap, um, but you buy good quality companies that have revenue, earnings, a strong balance sheet, but smaller cap companies should typically do a little bit better coming out of an economic recession uh, on the other side. So, you know, building a structured portfolio coming out of this is going to be um, an interesting opportunity to create both growth and yield much higher than what you're going to get out of, out of owning bonds. So own bonds for now, and once you get through, you know, the cycle – It'll be all about equities. You know, we talk about, you know, our portfolios, we run a 60-40 model. Um, coming out of this, we're going to be running probably an 80-20 model, um, if not higher. Might even be closer to 100% equities. Because, again, depending on where interest rates are, there's probably not going to be a lot of benefit in owning bonds. Now, the bonds I will want to own, again, so if we run a 70-30, 80-20 portfolio, there will be some really good opportunities in, like I said, distressed debt, but also a lot of corporate bonds. Uh, babies will get thrown out with the bathwater, uh, so to speak. Can we still say that without getting canceled? Um, but a lot of these corporate bonds, you know, if a stock gets cut by 50% in value, a lot of people will sell the bond because they're going to assume that, you know, Apple's going to go out of business, but they're not. There's plenty of cash there. Their bonds are money good. But those bonds will get discounted because of the stress on the equity side of the ledger. So, again, the, the portion of the bond portfolio won't be in treasuries. The portion of the bond portfolio that we'll own will be in corporate bonds, distressed debt, those type of things. Uh, mortgage bonds at that point as well. So, so again, there, there'll be some really good opportunities to build a much higher yielding portfolio uh, going forward, coming out of this, but you know, going into this, you know, owning treasury bonds will be you know one of your better yielding opportunities on a capital appreciation side. And again, I've said before is that you know as we go through this cycle, ten-year treasuries um, will probably outperform stocks to a great degree, and you know that that cycle is still yet to come. But again, it's it's it, a lot of these things just require patience and time, and they're not going to happen tomorrow. Um, but over the course of the next six, nine months, there's going to be a much more uh, important aspect to your portfolio. So, um, all right, get ready to kind of wrap things up here. Um, you know, again, you know, really kind of the thing to, you know, pay attention to. And, and again, we've talked about this before. Is just pay attention to what the Fed's saying here at this point, because, you know, again, everything's tied to these rate hikes, the, the rate hikes. And this is something that. We discussed, um, you know, in, in, in a good bit of detail in this weekend's newsletter. So if you go by our website, realinvestmentadvice.com, uh, click on the link there. 
for the newsletter uh, right at the top of the page. It'll bring it up. There's there's more to the issue of rate hikes than just the 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 the, the level of the interest rate. It's the it's the flow through effect to the entire economy. And when it comes into the markets, it has a lot to do with the impact on earnings. And earnings are still too high. And there was an interesting article out this morning talking about, well, if valuations just, you know, sorry, if earnings just stay where they are, right, they don't get any worse from here, then, you know, the fair value of the market is fairly easy to predict, right? I mean, you just say, okay, if earnings are at $200 a share and I consider fair, fair value to be, you know, 15 times earnings, 14, 13, pick a number. I mean, it's pretty easy to come up with whatever level that is, whatever you think is fair value. The problem is, is nobody really knows what fair value is. So a lot of these people just throw out stuff like, oh, 18 times earnings is fair value. Well, no, actually, it's not fair value. Fair value is actually pretty elevated. Um, we've just gotten used to high valuations because of Fed interventions over the last 22 years. But prior to 2000, valuations, you know, peak valuations were 23 times earnings and kind of fair value was considered somewhere 12 to 13 with, you know, real value being somewhere in the 7, 8, 9, 10 range, right? So if you want to consider a discounted fair value today, you know, even at higher levels, you can still say 10, 12, 13 times earnings is going to be fair value or a, a discounted fair value. So again, there's, you know, the real value in the market. We still have a, a good bit further to fall. And, and again, you go back and you look at things like the market cap to GDP indicator, which it measures the amount of market capitalization of the markets relative to economic growth. And that's still at a very, very high level. You're still trading at north of, you know, one and a half times market cap to GDP, which means that stocks are priced 50% more expensive than the economy can actually generate earnings for. And again, you know, a market cap to GDP of one means that stocks are overvalued because, again, where do earnings and revenue come from? They come from the economy. So if the market is priced more than what the economy can generate, there's your problem. And we still have a lot of excess valuation that still has to be worked off in the markets. And again, there's two ways to do that. Either prices just go sideways and earnings catch up or prices fall. And with earnings falling, this is going to make this a bit more complicated, you know, as we go forward. So, you know, it's not, again, it's not just the level of interest rates. It's how those interest rates and tighter monetary policy impacts the entire economy. We talked about the Fed breaking something. We've talked about the risk in the small cap space where small cap companies, a big chunk of the Russell 2000 index or, or what we call zombie companies, they depend on low rates to refinance debt. They can't do that now. So, you know, the risk of bankruptcies pick up as we the longer the Fed keeps hiking rates and the longer rates stay high, the bigger the risk of bankruptcy increases get. So, all right, that wraps up the show for the day. Uh, get by the website. The newsletter is out. It's on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. Click on the newsletter link. And, of course, our latest daily commentary is up and running as well. Click on the link for that. Um, but also, if you're subscribed to our daily market commentary, you'll get that at 730 sharp. 
We will get you ready for the markets. And uh, we'll have three minutes on markets and money coming up here shortly. So make sure you're subscribed right here to the YouTube channel. Just click that little bell icon. Make sure you're subscribed. And we'll alert you as soon as three minutes of markets and money comes out. See you tomorrow.